it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Yes, I'll be approachable in Milwaukee, too. Our show is going to be going over toward the side of the debate uh, on Wednesday and sticking around for a diner on Thursday. I'll leave a television on the diner and I'll probably go to a studio. I think that's the plan. We're going to have the who's who on the Republican side. Democrats will be lined up in Milwaukee trying to steal some thunder while the president vacations with Tom Steyer, the environmentalist billionaire, uh, in Lake Tahoe after spending a day in Hawaii. And as predicted, telling a fictionalized story about how his his strife is worse than anything mad the people of Maui have gone through. It's crazy what a pass this guy gets. And it's crazy that people think he's with it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We've got to remind ourselves just how hostile an adversary China is. They want to be number one in the world. They have the biggest army, the biggest navy. They're militarizing the South China Sea. You've got to remind yourself first what we are dealing with. Yes, please wake up America, China. Major BRICS summit in South Africa as their rhetoric hits an all-time high against what the U.S. is claiming. We want a cold war. They claim that we want a hot war while threatening Taiwan again yesterday. Military exercise outside the island nation. Time to not talk tough, but to get tough. You hear that, White House? Number two. Hunter Biden admitted in court in July that he was, in fact, paid substantial sums uh, from Chinese companies. And this directly goes against what Joe Biden said in the debate in 2020 uh, with uh, Donald Trump. Is this unbelievable? Have we frozen the media in time? The laptop's not real. Hunter was not involved in any overseas business dealings. Joe didn't know. Now Joe knew uh, he was involved. The laptop is real. What planet are these guys on on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, and CBS? And by the way, David Weiss has got to be moved off this investigation into Hunter. He's already has links to Bo. He's dropped the ball, allowed the statute of limitations to evaporate on Burisma earnings and everything else. He is not going to be and should not be the special counsel. Number one. He stomped all over everybody in 2016 by showing up to debates. That's kind of how he got the nomination. You know, he laid about himself, he, you know, he interrupted everybody, he dominated. Force of personality. Well, you can't have force of personality if you're not there. Brent Hume talking about the risk of not showing. Debate number one hours away, which is exactly where Trump will be hours away, which means no. That means that Ron DeSantis is center square. We're going to look at the final eight, the topics, the issues, the bios, and more. So, look, I think there's a lot at stake. And I think outside the cartoonish quick uh, quip back and forth, you didn't do that, you did do this, six-week ban, 13-week ban. I think there's a lot of real issues. First and foremost is one of the issues today. And that's China. I mean, buying up our farmland, info to streaming through our border. You're talking about military age men coming through our border dressed like middle class engineers. Why is that? Why is it that they're, uh, the Chinese are flexing their muscles in the South China Sea? Why is it that they're threatening to take Taiwan immediately? Why is it that we don't seem to understand that the spy balloon isn't benign? 
Why is it that we don't seem to understand that as China spreads its tentacles through Central and South America, it's a legitimate threat? What is the answer from the eight on stage? So, Chris Christie, we know uh, we know you don't like Donald Trump. You know, Mike Pence, we know you're upset about January 6th. Uh, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, we know you're fighting against woke. But how do you feel about Ukraine? What are you going to do about China? And it's easy to say, well, we're not going to touch Social Security. But what if I told you it goes bankrupt in 10 years? It's easy to say we're not going to touch Medicare seniors. But what if I told you it's not solvent? Saying it's I'm going to leave it alone is not going to help the American people. And that's not telling the truth. And it's being lazy. Vivek Ramaswamy's internet, his foreign policy is insane. He says, basically, let's stop uh, giving special status to Israel. Really? Let's let Ukraine, uh, Russia, keep what they've taken from Ukraine already in exchange for signing a piece of paper uh, erasing their alliance with China. Oh, that'll work. Let Taiwan go in 2028. So Nikki Haley, we'll see where you stand. We'll see some strength. I know she's tough, but I don't necessarily think she's shown it. She's shown her nice side with her husband in the military, with her as a governor, growing up a minority, and first-generation uh, immigrant parents. She's got a lot to offer. I have not seen that on the stump yet. Always love talking to her, but this is her opportunity. Perhaps the most pressure is on Ron DeSantis. Cut four. A movement can't be about the personality of one individual. The movement has got to be about what are you trying to achieve on behalf of the American people. And that's got to be based in principle. Uh, Because if you're not rooted in principle, uh, if all we are is listless vessels that's just supposed to follow, you know, whatever happens to come down the pike on Truth Social every morning, that's not going to be a durable movement. So he's going to be asked that by Brett Baer and Martha McCallum. I am sure they're going to take the most controversial things or the most interesting things that are said on the stump. And they're going to ask to clarify, expand. And that would open up to a to a hit from who? Who wants to defend Trump on stage? Vivek Ramaswamy or somebody who says, listen, we're not li- the people that follow the Make America Great Again movement aren't listless vessels. That's fine. But that's something that's going to cause a scrum. That's to me is going to be interesting. And if you are a candidate, you want that scrum. You want that target. You want that attention. Give me an opportunity Give me the ball. If I fumble, if I don't score, if I get caught for a loss, I'd rather say, well, you know, I gave it my all. But if you're someone like Ben Carson, who people had so much respect for, no one really wanted to attack him, and he dropped in the polls and they ignored him, he would come up and uh, up and down on that stage and nothing would happen. Trump, something would happen because people were desperate to land a glove on him, and they couldn't. Britt Hume on the risk of not showing up. And that's what he's doing. He's not showing up for this one. He's certainly not going to show up for the Fox Business debate in September. Cut eight. This one goes back 40-some years. Um, Ronald Reagan was by far the leading candidate in 1980 to get the Republican nomination, and he'd skipped the debate in Iowa. George H.W. Bush won, went to, attended the debate, won the state, and became instantly the frontrunner. Now, mm-hmm. Reagan recovered. He won, the, you know, he won the nomination, won the presidency, and all that. But it highlights the fact that, that if you, you skip a debate, people in the state look at you and they say, well, this guy didn't care about our state, he didn't care about us, and it can hurt you. And as strong as he was, it hurt him in that state. Right. Uh, and I, I just think that it is a great opportunity. In the beginning, it's, it's nice to say, uh, I think Trump should show up, he should show up, he's a coward, you could say whatever you want. 
but it's actually great for you guys and for Nikki Haley just to get a shot. And, and it's so frustrating because I watch other channels and they only ask about Trump. So here these people are accomplished. Some of them, like Governor Burgum's a better, biz, more successful businessman than Donald Trump in pure dollars. And a bigger story. I mean, he came from nothing. His dad dies when he's in ninth grade. And, and he's able to make this uh, huge gain from small town America to getting Microsoft to buy his product. So these are, these are people that are very impressive. And they can't get out of Donald Trump's negative or positive shadow. So that's what Bill McGurn weighed in on Fox & Friends first this morning. He talked about the different scenarios that could take place. Cut 13. It seems to me there are three possible scenarios. One, they all beat up on Joe Biden. Two, they all beat up on Donald Trump because he's a front runner. Or three, they beat up on each other. And I think um, the, the likelihood is that Donald Trump benefits from not being there because he looks above the fray. He, he, he kind of makes him look small. But the question is, will he pay a price for it? Uh, down the road. Most Republicans, the polls show, want uh, Trump to participate in the debates. And uh, it seems to me after you've lost a presidential race, you should make your case to the people why you should get the nomination. So, you know, it's interesting because, and you go back for precedent, uh, I was good that Britt Hume brought up uh, Ronald Reagan because in 76 he loses uh, the nomination and Gerald Ford loses narrowly to Jimmy Carter. And obviously, people looking to Reagan in 1980 were more ready for a more conservative candidate. Ford's not going to run and not going to come back and run. And they didn't go in the first debate. That's an interesting analogy. That's as close as it gets because nobody was around during Grover Cleveland's days when he won, lost, and then won again. So now uh, in Iowa, they asked the people of Iowa, what do you think? Well, 42 percent of likely voters, caucus goers, say Trump is their first choice. 19 percent DeSantis, 9 percent Scott. Scott's on the march, by the way. Mike Pence at six. Now, this is the key. This is a Des Moines Register NBC poll. Would you say what uh, would you say your mind is made up or could you still be persuaded to support another candidate? This other key question could be persuaded. Fifty two percent mind is made up. Forty percent, seven percent. No first choice yet. That's a lot. And there's talent on that stage. You know, it's not Dennis Kucinich, who's a nice guy. It's not Marianne Williamson, who's a fringe candidate. has got no depth or experience, just uh, smart. Now, this is, these, are, these are established candidates in their own right, all very different. I want to move on to something else that should come up tomorrow. Because um, as I mentioned two weeks ago on One Nation, I don't want to talk about uh, ballot harvesting. I don't want to talk about drop boxes. I don't want to talk ballots that were corrupted. I don't want to talk about that. But if you talk about 2020 and what went wrong, it's what Joe Biden was allowed to get away with by not telling the truth. He couldn't campaign. He's shot. He's worse now. Number two, the pandemic worked out for him. Number two, he barely debated. They canceled one. And Donald Trump actually had COVID on the first one. But so many times he was right. But the moderator and Joe Biden, with the help of the moderator, Joe Biden was able to lie about the overseas business deal. He's not knowing any about him actually participated in him that's what's coming out the laptop that's not real 51 intel agent said it's not real that's that's totally real and they all backtracked on that and if you found out what their background is and you were focused on 
Joe Biden and what who he really was and what he was doing as vice president, there was a poll that said at least 14 percent of the people would have reconsidered their vote for Joe Biden. He he won by tens of thousands of votes in about three states, about 10,000 votes in about three states uh, for the shocker in Georgia and shocker in Arizona. So Hunter Biden, the investigation's marching forward. But this guy, David Weiss, who we know nothing about, turns out he had a relationship and worked well with Bo Biden, the deceased uh, former AG of Delaware and oldest son of President Biden, then Vice President Biden. And then we found out he was going to give a sweetheart deal or no convictions, no time, no guilty play with a play to Hunter Biden until the whistleblower stepped up. And now we find out about this relationship, and this guy is allowing statute of limitations to evaporate on two or three charges when it comes to taxes. Why would we let him stay on it? Unless, of course, he says, now I'm free to do the job I wanted to do, but he's got no credibility because he had that job for five years, never complained about it. So what does it mean? What does it actually mean that Hunter Biden might have to go to trial, that they threatened to put his father on trial, which I don't care about? Why is that a threat? Put him on, he'll fall flat on his face, and he'll wither under questioning. He'll wither under, what is your name, seems to me these days. So here is uh, Tristan Levitt. He's the attorney for one of the heroes in this story, Gary Shapley, who put his career in the line to be a whistleblower and tell the truth. Cut 16. It's clearly utterly ridiculous on its face. And we've seen this throughout, that those are the kind of threats the Hunter Biden's legal team made. Last summer, Chris Clark told the prosecutors, even before this threat to put Joe Biden on the stand, that charging Hunter Biden would be a career killer for them. And he's trying what he can to make it be a career killer for our clients as well. And so it's it's unfortunate, but it's not a surprise at all. It clearly has no grounding in fact. And in fact, the judge up in Delaware, Mary Ellen Norieka, noted that because the pleadings from Hunter's legal team had asked that Chairman Jason Smith's amicus brief, giving further details about the whistleblower disclosures, be removed from the docket because they claimed that, again, that there was grand jury or other information there that shouldn't have been. And Judge Noriega really smacked that down, saying that making such broad allegations was irresponsible of them. And what I should have referred to and introduced that soundbite better uh, if Trister Levitt is represents Gary Shapley, who's a whistleblower, they said Gary Shapley broke the law. Yeah, by being a whistleblower, by going to getting an attorney and going in front of Congress, he broke the law. Please tell me where he broke the law. Taking real, real-time notes about how David Weiss says he basically did not have freedom to pursue this case. Not a chance. Desperate. Man, they're even more desperate than I thought. And they're pursuing bank records. Now we're talking about $50 million. I see the calls up there. I'll get to them when we come back. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. I'll be in Milwaukee the next show covering the debate, bringing you up close and personal my takes, not only about what these men and women are saying, but what they were doing in the breaks. Uh, Kind of the stuff that if I could get into the locker room of a big game uh, in between innings of a big baseball baseball series, uh, I'm going to tell you exactly what I see. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Bidens got tens of millions of dollars. What did these people paying the Bidens actually get in return? There's nothing tangible. There's no product. There's no service. There's no advice. It's clear what the product was. It was Joe Biden. And they're not going to answer that question. So, yeah, they're going to continue to stall. And until the mainstream media starts to really take this story seriously in the way that they should, in the way that they would with pretty much any other uh, person on the Republican side of the aisle, they're going to continue to deny it. Yeah. uh, And now other areas of the media uh, are starting to pick up on it, even almost in a naive way. Uh, It's like if somebody just started following baseball and they say the Yankees aren't doing well this year, are they? So they're pretending as if they haven't been watching all year, which means for the last five years. And they have to get it because there's nowhere to duck anymore. Joel WTRC in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, Joel. Hey, hi, Brian. Um, Real quick. Trump doesn't need to go to that debate. And if he was there, it would all be about Trump. And we know what Trump is about. We know what he can do. We know what he did. But there are people on that stage who won't get even 15 seconds to talk if Trump is on there. Let those people have their, have their say. And, and it's not like he's not going to do any debate. He's just not doing this debate. And yet I hear, no, I hear nothing about Biden refusing to debate anybody else in the Democratic Party, Mr. Kennedy, um, and, and it's never brought up. Yeah, sitting president doesn't usually get into primary debates, so I don't think that is bad. I'm actually not even critical. I, I'm just saying there's a risk. It's tactics. It's tactics. Joel, you know what my analogy is, back to sports, is if you win the division, why are you going to play the wild card game? And you don't. You win the division. You're not, you're not ignoring, but eventually you're going to have to take on the wild card winner. So they're going to see where this goes. I think eventually they're going to have 10 debates. He's going to participate in some of them. But I don't see him doing Fox business either. And he does going to try to steal the thunder with his uh, indictment, which is going to be embarrassing going into a prison, getting fingerprinted and mugshotted uh, right after Bruce listening in York, Pennsylvania. Bruce. Thank you very much for taking my call. I really appreciate it, sir. Um, Hope you're having a good day. The reason for my call is... The news media, mass news media, is doing exact. We are doing their bidding for them because we should not be spending one minute of time talking about the BS indictments on Trump. It was just—it's just a waste of time, and we need to get back to business. I know, but it is historic. But after the fourth indictment, we don't go wall to wall on Fox. We mention it, but you watch it CNN. I did experiment nine segments in one hour on Trump. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Welcome back. Uh, we know there's going to be a big debate and people are going to disagree. It's going to really be disagreeable when we get to the Democrat against the Republican. But right now, you're going to have eight people on stage tonight, uh, excuse me, tomorrow night in Milwaukee, uh, all trying to have difficult conversations. And who's going to prevail and actually win somebody over or at least explain their side while listening? Bruce Patton is co-founder and distinguished fellow at the Harvard Negotiating Project, where he heads the Rebuild Congress in- Initiative. He's also co-author of Getting to Yes, Negotiating Agreement Without Giving In. Bruce, nobody negotiates anymore. They hang out with people they agree with. Has this ever happened before in your lifetime, the way it's happening now? It hasn't happened before in my lifetime, but it, it was very frequent at the end of the 19th century. Uh, conflict parties became the way they are now, more like teams that you wanted to be part of and to win, and political violence escalated. We assassinated three presidents inside of 35 years. And civil rights leaders along the way, too. So, so yeah. Bruce, you're looking at what's happening right now, and there's an art to it. So if you disagree with somebody, how do you engage with them and, dare I say, convince them that you have a point? Yeah, Um you know, the, the most important thing to, to start by remembering is that in the real world, there are no zero-sum games, because in the real world, it's always possible for both sides to lose. And, it, you know, it turns out you have shared interests, at least not making things worse. You have conflicting interests, which people spend most of their time thinking about, but you often have differing interests that are just different and often the source of a lot of creative gains. And the best way to deal with conflict is to treat it like side-by-side problem solvers, trying to figure out if there's something to do together that's better than what you can do on your own. So people forget that. uh, How do you label, when you say difficult conversations in your book, what do you mean by difficult conversations? Yeah, difficult conversations, what's difficult is different for different people. Uh, And we define it as anything that you find it difficult to talk about or that you you know, sort of look forward to like having a tooth pulled. And the reasons that people find it difficult, typically the the root cause is that something about this conversation is inconsistent with your how you see yourself, your your self-identity, your esteem, your, you know, I shouldn't be having to have this conversation because I'm supposed to be respected and they're not respecting me. And, And often it's because some little part of your brain is thinking, you know, their their story isn't entirely crazy and you don't know how to take in that conflicting information. And that's because we have a tendency to to hold our identity as all or nothing when, in fact, we all have a bunch of identities and we have internal inconsistencies. And sometimes you can't avoid them and you have to find a, you know, sort of a more balanced place to stand so you're at a barbecue and you're an extreme liberal and you have a conservative wearing a trump hat and he's joining you at that barbecue so without saying a word a guy you kind of know i have nothing against except obviously you might disagree how do you how do you how do you handle that like do you just pretend as if you don't have these differences uh if it's a relationship that you care about i i wouldn't pretend you don't have the differences uh if you want to get into it, I would listen. I would ask questions and I would listen with with some respect because they obviously have a different life experience where they're putting together things in a different way. 
But at the same time, you don't have to swallow what you think. You know, if, if someone says, well, I, I want to preserve America for Americans, uh, you can say, well, what does that mean? Um, well, you know, our traditional values are under, okay, I hear that as, you know, black Americans have been in America since before it was America. But that sounds like you're talking – to me, that sounds like you're you're talking about values that don't – or a vision that doesn't include them. Is that what you're saying? And then see what they say, right? Speak speak what you think, hear what they're thinking, and, and stick with it. Um, right. It's really the combination of, of empathy and accountability that allows people to m- manage and – friendships and to learn. And a lot of times, too, your own ideas might not be fleshed out. Why do I think what I think? Until someone starts asking you. That's right. You you don't know why you think. And sometimes you're, you're almost hardened by, wow, I, you know, I do have something behind it. Other times you're like, you know what? I don't know where I picked that up from. Right. I mean, people are so entrenched in sort of either war and all or nothing thinking. But I, when we first started the Rebuild Congress initiative, I interviewed a guy named Richard Hanna who was a Republican from upstate New York in a very conservative district, although some people rated him as, as you know, among the more liberal Republicans, but he didn't think about himself that way. He was a businessman. And he told me, you know, I don't pay dues to the party because I don't see what that does to my constituents. And they haven't kicked me off my committees because I know my stuff. And I don't go to chicken dinners because I can't stand them. But I have 70 town halls a year. And my favorite moment is when I can say to a constituent who, who offers an opinion, here's why I think, you know, you're saying that. And here's what I think you're saying. Does that make sense? And they say, yeah, you got it. I said, Let me tell you why I see it differently. He just loved that moment. And it was sort of the both and. That's true. And in addition, I see this thing and it leads me to a slightly different point of view. What's your reaction? And they kept electing him even in 2010 when the Tea Party was, you know, he had a Tea Party candidate against him and he trounced her. So interesting. And instead of but, right? Yes. Uh, and instead of but. It, and it's, it's more than just a, a linguistic trick. But puts things in opposition and it's not realistic. When you say to someone, you know, I love you, but <laughs> they call it the great eraser. Check, please. Right? The yeah. truth is. I love you, and I'm jealous, and sometimes I hate you at the same time. So uh, Bruce Patton, our guest, and he's got a book out. Uh, it's called uh, Getting to Yes, Negotiating Agreement Without Giving In. Bruce, you talk about rebuilding Congress. Uh, what was your image, and what did you find out when you dove into it? Well, you know, our system was founded with the, by the framers with the, the, the vision that Congress was the most important branch because it's the only one where we're all represented. And Alexis de Tocqueville, when he came from France and sort of wrote his famous book commenting on the U.S., said, the system only works if the executive is relatively weak because if the executive becomes too powerful, every presidential election is going to feel existential. Uh, and if Congress fails to take on the most important political questions, then the unelected Supreme Court is going to be forced to deal with those divisive issues and lose its legitimacy. And that's what a lot of political scientists see playing out today. Congress is. is the place we're supposed to work those things out. And I talked to people in Congress and people around Congress, and they all agreed with that. 
Executive orders are, are the exactly, yeah. you say, this could be the, you know, really detrimental in many cases. Yeah, well, they, they may make things work, and there are a lot of advocates who want executive orders when their president's in place. But, you know, the I've talked to the Chamber of Commerce, and they have a presentation that shows if, if important things, policies get reversed every four years, it creates an economic climate of uncertainty that depresses innovation and investment. It's not we want things passed by Congress with preferably bipartisan majorities because that creates a stable business environment. You know, it's also it's impossible to run a military when you keep changing focus and, and objectives. Absolutely. You know, we, that's why we can take six years to build a plane. They go, unless you get me a contract, I can't be caught in the middle, you know, with, you know, right. uh, half built, uh, half built hulks of uh, of weapons. Right. Yep. So when you so I, I, I love that concept. Number two, if I was to take some of your principles and put them on stage on Wednesday night. What would you be looking for? And if you were, uh, if a candidate hired you, Bruce, yep. I, need you, I need your help. What would you be telling yep. them? Well, it's interesting. I, I was just reading yesterday about Roger Ailes, who was, you know, Ronald Reagan's sort of political director, and he had a theory of politics called the the orchestra pit theory. And if you got two candidates on stage, and one says, you know, I've got a fantastic plan for world peace. And the other one says it falls into the orchestra pit. Who's going to get written about? The one that falls. <laughs> yeah, and I think we have too many politicians trying to fall into the orchestra pit. But again, Richard Hanna won every election that he contested. And another person, even though he's on the opposite side of the political aisle, who did this very well, was Deval Patrick, who got elected as governor in Massachusetts, but he came absolutely outside of the establishment, and he trounced seven other Democrats in this Democratic state and then the the Republican candidate. And there was a moment, to to your point, in the debates where they were saying, geez, this guy's Teflon, we can't get him. But he said, because I'm from the outside, I should take positions on the issues. And he took a position saying that the children of illegal immigrants should be entitled to the lower tuition for state residents if they went to a state college. And it was very unpopular. And these seven other candidates went down the line, you know, sort of exoriating him for this. And you came to Duval and he said, look, I guess this is an emotional issue and it's a principled issue. I mean, these kids are here illegally. Why should we spend any state resources subsidizing them? Right. I get that issue and I get why it's, it feels unfair and inappropriate. But then I also think, who thinks these kids are going to leave? I mean, we don't have any plan for deporting them. And they didn't choose to come here. Their parents brought them here as, as kids. And the reason we're having this conversation is they've worked so hard that they've earned this, this entry into college. And if they're going to be here and they're that smart, do we think that we are going to be better off if they have a role in the economy or we tell them they can't have any legitimate role in the economy and they've got to make their way some other way. And when I look at it that way, I think, I think I'd rather have them in school. Right. And, and I, and, and I'd love to right? engage that. And you can politely engage that and say, well, I'm worried about my own, That's right. I, you know, so, That's right. and Deval Patrick, we know too, was one of David Axrod's first success stories, correct? That's true. 
Yeah. That's right. So so that was, and then later Barack Obama. A lot of people thought that Deval Patrick would be like Barack Obama. He'd be heading towards the national stage. Yep. Never quite worked out like that. So, Bruce, you know what's possible for people to really build on that? Because you got to feel most people on that stage agree with 75% of each other. 75% of their policies are the same. So right. how do you get to the other 25% without being offensive uh, right. and, you know, have people just outraged and other people uh, of uh, euphoric? That could happen. Well, the subtlety can happen on Wednesday. It could. And there is evidence to suggest that the orchestra pit you know, theory works at first, but it doesn't work over time. There are going to be a lot of people not tuning in on Wednesday because they think it's going to be all show. Whereas they would tune in if they thought there would be serious conversation about that extra 25 percent and the ideas that people have. It's interesting. They just did a poll. CBS said, what do you want to talk about? Only nine percent said Trump. The rest said about your issues. Then they asked, what are the issues? The economy, number two, immigration. So now yep. one person said indictments. No. Nope. And, and, and it just works. But if you watch television. It is nonstop indictments, court cases. What's going to do? He's terrible. He's the best back and forth. And I've never in my life seen it. They didn't do this with Clinton. They didn't do this with Bush. So I'm not talking about any party. I've never seen this phenomenon in my life. Is it just a Trump thing? Or do you think that we're always going to jump on our chief executive like this from here on in? Uh, I think we're going through, in part, we're going through a stage in the media that was uh, jump-started and, you know, they put gas on the fire in terms of social media because the social media algorithms are competing for your attention. And so they're going through the same thing where they give you the most outrageous stuff um, and, you know, disinformation that's really inflaming moves seven times faster than true information. And that has and, and, you know, the regular media is trying to compete with that, which isn't good for any of us. But there is a point at which people stop listening. I hear you. So, so, so Bruce, when you if I was to pick up three politicians that you're impressed with that have some of the skills that you talk about in your book, can you name three? Well, I mean, I've mentioned two so far. Richard Hanna has died, but Deval Patrick's still around and does it. Charlie Baker did it as well in Massachusetts. Governor? You know, and then, yeah. yeah, Governor Baker was a very popular Republican governor in Democratic Massachusetts, and he did it because he was uh, a balanced kind of guy that people thought was, was reasonable. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe the Bruce Patton ticket's going to be the no labels ticket. You got a Republican, you got a Democrat forced to negotiate with a Congress that belongs to two parties that they don't belong to. Maybe that would be your dream. Am I correct? Well, the, it isn't my dream, but the, the no labels theory is that, you know, if they could get 30, a block of 30 or 40 people in the House and even 20 in the Senate who would vote together and insist on addressing issues from the middle, they could control both houses of Congress. But right now, it's it's the the folks who are in the caucus haven't quite been willing to yep. put the caucus over their party, and so they exactly. don't have the impact that they could. And voters have something to say about that, right? If voters demand, if they'll go out and vote in the primary, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene got elected by eight percent of her constituency, and she doesn't seemingly represent 
the 98%, but whoever wins that primary is going to win the election. I hear you. Voters could change this. Bruce Patton, thanks so much. Uh, Getting to getting to yes, negotiating agreement without giving in. And difficult conversations, how to discuss what matters most, which is what's coming out with just its third edition today, I think. Awesome. So thank you. You got it, Bruce. Go get him. Thank you. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't want to compare difficulties, but we have a little sense, Jill and I, what it's like to lose a home. Years ago, now 15 years ago, I was in Washington doing Meet the Press. It was a sunny Sunday. And lightning struck at home on a little lake that's outside of our home, not a lake, a big pond, and hit a wire and came up underneath our home into the heating ducts, the air conditioning duct. To make a long story short, I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, <laughs> and my cat. But all kidding aside, I watched the firefighters, the way they responded. You know, there's an old expression. I grew up right across the street from a fire hall in Claymont, Delaware. And the expression is, God made man, then he made a few firefighters. Is that the most ridiculous, dumb analogy, inappropriate comment is a story that's been totally embellished. He's been told over and over again, that's not what happened. Stop saying it, I am sure, unless everybody in his life is afraid to tell him. And then these people who, by the way, I think there's 800 people still missing. They're going to have to go dental records. That's how grisly this fire is. He's comparing it to him losing his cat. And lightning striking on a sunny day while he's doing Meet the Press? You don't have to make up stories to relate to people. Can you just listen to people and stop putting yourself in the middle of everything? Stop telling me he's an empathetic guy, too. He has lost it. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We're at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world, but heading to Milwaukee right after the show. So I'll be broadcasting there Wednesday, Thursday. Why Milwaukee? You know, the big debate, the first debate. There's nothing like the first. Soon, maybe we'll say, oh, it's the same old thing. What will be different? Not now. Uh, and certainly building toward a crescendo when you only have one on each side. And Governor Sununu writes a big editorial in the New York Times today saying, whoever loses Iowa, just get out. Uh, because if Donald Trump's going to be defeated, is he's got to be defeated by just one person or maybe two. Uh, if that's one of your objectives, uh, Adam Kinzinger certainly feels that way. Uh, Liz Cheney certainly feels that way. Uh, Senator B- uh, Bill Cassidy feels that way. But more and more Americans who are on the fence see the fourth indictment coming on Thursday, and they look at what's happening with Joe Biden's America today, and they're not on board. With me right now is Governor Mike Huckabee. Uh, Governor Huckabee knows what it's like to go onto the debate stage, feel totally comfortable and surge from the unknown to the leader, especially in Iowa, where he won in 08. Uh, Governor Huckabee, welcome back. Hey, Brian, thank you. You know, uh, I'm always thrilled to be on, but I'm even more happy when I get invited back. It means that you're giving me one more chance. Yes, one more chance. And you know what? I have sense it's going to go well because you always perform in the clutch. 
So, yeah, you're an example. Everybody gives now to say, yeah, just because you don't know me now, it doesn't mean you won't know me soon. And for the Governor Burgums of the world, uh, maybe for the Nikki Haley, for people who aren't that familiar with politics, uh, for Senator Scott, who people say, I know of him, but you know, I don't know what he does. You can, be, you can make a difference on this stage. Well, without a doubt, and I think that's the, the important part of the debates. I wish that there was more focus on the candidates and that there was an equal allocation of the time. And I begged the RNC at a meeting in Chicago. I went made a presentation, and I said, you need to take control of the debate process because one of the things that has to happen is that those candidates who have a great message but maybe people don't know them well – They've got to be able to get some face time in that debate. When Donald Trump was in the debate in 2016, um, every debate was either about what he said or candidates were said uh, were asked, what do you think about what Donald Trump just said? And so candidates were basically minimized out of the debate, and it became a Donald Trump show. The fact that he's not going to be there probably is good for the other candidates. You know, a lot of them are complaining, well, Donald Trump ought to be here. They ought to be glad he's not, because if he were, he would be the person sucking all the oxygen out of the air, and they wouldn't get much time. And I say that as a, you know, as you know, Brian, I'm a Trump supporter. I, th- I think he's our best shot, and I think he's the one guy that uh, deserves another run at this. But having said that, uh, I think the other candidates should be grateful he's not going to be there. I, I absolutely. And, and my, my analogy is in baseball – if you win the division, you don't have to play the wild card game. The objective is the same to win a championship, but you don't play the wild card game. Uh, it doesn't yeah. mean you're ducking, but he's up by 40 points. As Axelrod said uh, Sunday, he goes, he'd be crazy to go into this debate. There's too much downside, although I would love to see him do that engage uh, because, you know, you never know these unscripted moments. But this is the, what we know about the rules. No opening statements. One minute to answer questions, 45 seconds for for follow-up. There'll be uh, 30 seconds for follow-up, 45 seconds for closing remarks. If I told you those rules, what do you think? I think they're terrible. I'll be honest with you. I think they're awful, and here's why. There will be times when – and I love Brett and Martha, and they're good choices to moderate if you're going to have moderators. In my perfect world, you wouldn't have a moderator. You'd have a timekeeper, and that's it. And the candidates would debate each other. Everyone on that stage would be given exactly the same amount of clock time. They could use it any way they wanted. If they wanted to eat all nine minutes up uh, in their opening statement, then they're done. Their mic's cut off. They're finished. But what would happen is that the candidates would ask each other questions or they would present their own arguments. And they would determine what the topics are because they're the ones who actually had the guts to put their names on the ballot. One of my frustrations in the debate process, and I was in dozens of them over two election cycles, Brian, so I'm speaking from personal experience And from Trump experience. You were on the stage trying to get that nomination in 2016. But one of the things that happened in 2016, if you didn't attack Trump, you never got called on. You just didn't. You You might as well go get a sandwich. The other side of that is sometimes a moderator will spend two and a half minutes asking a complex question and then say to the candidate, You have 30 seconds to respond. And you want to say, wait a minute, you just took two and a half minutes to ask me a question. I'm running for president, not you. You get two and a half minutes and you're giving me 30 seconds. Get out of here. 
I understand. Uh, and two, I always said to, you know, everyone's well, Governor DeSantis is going to be attacked. He wants to be attacked if he's really paid attention in the past because he'll get a chance to respond. And uh, I don't think he I think he does pretty well under the clutch. I know there's one moment where he froze. I saw where he was asked, can you guarantee you're going to serve two terms by Charlie Crist? And he kind of froze. If he has that moment, it could be over. Does that thought ever get into your head when you get on stage? Man, if I freeze, if I don't have an answer, I'm, I'm doomed. You know, you have to be loose. And one of the things I see with some candidates, they're so prepared. And let me say by prepared, I mean they're overly programmed. They've already sat down through the murder boards with their staff, and they've kind of come up with an answer on everything they think they could be asked. And when they're talking, it honestly appears as if they're reading a card off the back of their head that has been imprinted there by their staff. It it comes across as stiff and phony, and there are several candidates, I think, that that died on the altar of over-preparation. I always would go out for a five-mile run. I wouldn't watch any television or read a paper on the debate day. I would go in knowing what I believed and listening carefully to the question and trying to respond to it rather than uh, come up with this pivot and totally turning away from a question because the audience sees that and they say, yeah, you're not answering the question. You're giving your pre-prepared speech, and it comes across as stiff and phony. I think it's a big mistake when candidates do that, but I promise out of the eight that will be on the stage, you can be prepared for some to do exactly that. So uh, there's a Republican strategist on CNN and talked about the downside to Trump not going for him. Cut nine. Look, it is a huge political insult to Republican voters for him not to participate, as well as to the Republican Party. Voters deserve to have a healthy and robust primary, hearing from all of the candidates on where they stand on the issues, how they contrast with their fellow candidates, and how their vision can help take out uh, President Biden. And he's missing an opportunity. That being said, with a lead like this, uh, I can understand why his campaign is deciding for him not to do so. Is it a risk to the people of... I never thought about this until I heard a couple of people say it over the last two days. Is it a risk to the people of Wisconsin, including Kellyanne Conway, of Wisconsin to say, he's not showing up to me. We're the ultimate battleground state. Really? Uh, I didn't think so. But the, the people... Is it possible the people in that city do? I don't really think so, because a, a debate is not about the geography of where it's held. Let's face it. It's a television show. It's not so much a local venue. And you could lift that stage and all of the trappings, lift it up and put it in any city in America. And it's about what happens on the stage, not what's happening in the community around it. Now, there may be some people who will say, oh, that's a a real insult to the people of Wisconsin. It really isn't. Uh, The decision had nothing to do with the geography or the demography, if you will, of Wisconsin. It had all to do with whether Donald Trump felt there was any value in him being as known a quantity as he is to go and show up and let people who barely have 1% in the polls have a shot at him when he's got 62% of the polls. It just doesn't make any sense for him. So what I think he's doing is saying, you guys want to take me on? Okay, fight amongst yourselves. And when you get that finished and there's one of you standing, then we'll go toe to toe. We'll have a real debate. But, you know, these same people aren't saying to Joe Biden, hey, Joe, you really ought to let RFK Jr. have the stage with you and you guys uh, have a debate. Joe wouldn't last 30 seconds in that environment. And every Democrat knows it. 
I mean, I, the the Joe Biden who's going to debate is even a shell of what he was, and he was a shell then. Governor Huckabee, what do you do with this state? Um, in retrospect, I was looking back at the debates, and I did something like this in my open last week, and that is how many times Joe Biden said something that seems to have won the point, but he flat out lied. 51 intel experts say that laptop was not real, and okay, we'll move on. So Trump is saying, look at what you guys were doing overseas business operations. The voter thinks that Biden won that point. No, he knew damn well that was his son's laptop. And then he comes yeah. out and says, I knew nothing. Uh, I knew nothing about the overseas business operations. I knew nothing about my son. I had no investments in China. They were talking about China, the most consequential country for American foreign policy, for, uh, for foreign policy for an American president. He lied about all those things. So whose job is it in real time to fact check things like that? that could really affect how you vote? I mean, I really think it's the other candidates. I don't think it's the job of the moderator to do that, because then it starts looking like that moment when Candy Crowley started debating Mitt Romney in the 2012 race. <laughs> yeah. And that's not the role of the moderator. It's basically to keep things moving, not to become part of it. So I would suggest that if there is that moment to fact check, and in reality, that's exactly what Donald Trump did. But the media didn't go back and do the follow-up. When Donald Trump said to Joe Biden on that stage, you guys took $5 million or $8 million, as it were, from China, and Joe said, we did not. We've never taken anything. Well, Trump was right, even down to the detail of the amount, and Joe Biden was lying. But you know what? The New York Times, the Washington Post, they just wiped their forehead and said, yep, it's Trump that's the liar. Turns out he was right. All the more reason Donald Trump doesn't need to go on that stage, because even when he tells the truth, the media won't count him as having told the truth. Here's what DeSantis says his approach is to the debate. Cut to. I'm going to make the case that under Joe Biden, this country is in decline. We need to send Biden back to his basement in Delaware and reverse the country's decline. And I'm the guy that can do it. I've proven it in the state of Florida, uh, and I won't let people down as the next president. Of anyone on that stage, uh, I'm the only one whose sole purpose is running to be the 47th president of the United States and to reverse this country's decline. I'm not running to be vice president. I'm not running uh, to be in the cabinet, and I'm not running to be a contributor uh, on cable news. Uh, we're running to win. What do, you think of, what do you think of that approach? He was half right. He was right when he said, I want to talk about how to change the economy and how to move the country forward. Where he made a huge mistake was he started sounding like Ted Cruz back in 2016 when he said, I'm the only one. And that is an insult to the other candidates to assume that they're only there because they want to be a cable news contributor or they want to be considered for a cabinet post. Let me assure you, nobody that I can imagine would run for president and do, go through what you go through because you think you might get to be on TV. That's an insult to all the other candidates. And I think that that was beneath him and he shouldn't have said it. He was right, however, to say, I'm not going out there to beat up Donald Trump and I'm not going out there to talk about the past. I want to talk about the future. And, Brian, one thing I hope the candidates understand, nobody cares what they have done. I think a lot of us went to the stage in 2016. We went with an extraordinary level of policy experience and accomplishments. A bunch of us were governors. We all knew each other. And we thought the country was looking for someone who could solve problems and who could fix things. What we found out, they didn't care. They didn't want someone to 
go and oil the machinery. They wanted someone to go and burn the place down. And people are so angry and so frustrated. You see it in that song, the rich men of North Richmond or North of Richmond. That passion is ignited in a big part of this country. And they want to know, are you willing to go kick the doors down, throw the bums out, stop the stuff that's killing our country and give working people a chance? That's the message that will win. All right, Governor, put on your Nostradamus hat um, and ask Thursday morning, what's going to be the headline from the debate? I think it'll be if Ron DeSantis performs well, he's back in the game. If he doesn't, if he doesn't dominate, then this narrative that's been going on for the last uh, several weeks is that his campaign is uh, faltering and imploding. Then somebody else will jumpstart above him. It could be Vivek. Although Vivek's got to get his Israel issue fixed, yeah, or he won't go any further in the Republican primary. And I like him. I think he's the smartest guy on the stage, so articulate, so brilliant. But that was an unforced error for him to uh, make the comments about U.S. relationships with Israel in the Middle East. It shows a lack of understanding of what's going on there. But uh, other than that, I, I think it's going to be you know an opportunity for a Tim Scott who is so good on the stage. He's so energetic. Uh, I think he could be one of those people that kind of emerged from this is, wow, that guy's got something to say. He he does. He's so positive, too. He'll be on, I guess, a little bit uh, next hour. So thanks for the promotion. I don't know. That is Nostradamus. Like you almost almost had a vision (laughs) that that was my guest next hour. So, Governor, we'll see see what happens there. Well, it'll be a fun thing to watch, uh, but, you know, it's so early, and I think sometimes people think that it's all about this one night. It could be the breakout moment for at least one person, and it could be the breakdown moment for someone. If a person just totally botches it, it could be the end of their candidacy. I mean, Rick Perry had that moment where he couldn't remember the third thing, uh, the third agency he was going to get rid of. It was over. So you always have the potential. Uh, you know, that you go in on the shoulders of your teammates and you come out on a gurney. That's always possible. That's the risk. But, you know, you're running for the most important job in the world. You got to take the risk. Exactly. Just like sports on a daily basis, uh, you got to go compete. Yet there's winners and losers. That's what makes this exciting, except for there's it's more of a 162 game season, which you're trying to say rather than a win or in. Uh, thanks Bye. so much, Governor. Great job. Thanks. Good to talk to you, Brian. Take Same care, here. my friend. Hey, your call's next, one 408 And then we got this huge border story you're not going to believe with Colonel Alan West. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk a little about this uh, broken wall welded open by the Biden administration. But right now, I want to talk to Al and WABC over in Yonkers. Hey, Al. Uh, Good morning to you, Brian. You know, Brian, I just want to say, talking about debates, you had such a good, uh, positive discussion with the former governor of... uh, uh, Huckabee, you know, in 2008, he was a dark horse candidate, got on that stage and uh, made himself a national name. 
So as we move forward to tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night, I'm looking forward to the, day, the, the debate. I do believe that Governor DeSantis will have a good night. I don't believe this uh, candidate, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name that right, uh, Ramaswamy. Yep. Uh, I don't believe he'll be able to overtake the governor. Uh, he's had some questionable uh, views with uh, his support for uh, Israel, our strong supporter in the Middle East. And I think his... Uh, it will be short term his uh you know his poll numbers with his popularity well i mean his foreign policy i, I just don't get it i mean this guy's an ivy league educated guy says that we should have uh russia agree not to be friends with china and then they can have a third of the ukraine what are you talking about i mean why would we ever trust them what kind of deal is that invade another country and then promise not to be nice to another country and you can keep the stuff it's crazy uh, when we could, thanks so much for the call, Al. I appreciate the positive approach. When we come back, Alan West, on the fact that we're selling the wall that we paid for for scrap. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Joe Biden is responsible for the largest amount of illegal immigration in the history of the United States. And there are deadly consequences. We are fighting cartels that are trying to kill our kids. And what we're literally witnessing is a war zone. Every state is a border state. It's time for this president to step up way past time and do his job. Republican governors showed up at the border, but they really should add Democratic governors, too. If you look at with Pritzker's uh, Illinois, happening in Illinois and Chicago, of course, what's happening with Hochul's New York, it is overrun with illegals. Well, you see what's happening in Philadelphia, San Francisco, Los Angeles, every major city, but nothing like what's experiencing New York. Boston, Massachusetts, the governor's asking their citizens to take in illegal immigrants. Are you crazy? They might be the next Einstein or be the next serial killer. You just want us to take in random people that you haven't screened so we can screen them? Are you crazy? Uh, destroying cities. That's what we're looking at. And by the way, they have priority over the homeless situation, which Democrats are doing a great job growing that population, too. But yesterday, you just see a bunch of people seem to be spitting in the wind because this, gov- this president is on vacation again. And these Democratic governors don't have the courage to stand up what's best for their people, or they're so worried about their party. Colonel Alan West joins me now. He's the American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director. Colonel, your reaction to the governors yesterday? Well, you know, I just got back from uh, four days down on the border in Kenny County, which sits uh, in between Eagle Pass and Del Rio. It really is ground zero. Uh, while I was there, uh, several high-speed chases, and uh, I was even involved in bringing in about 12 illegal immigrants that uh, we apprehended during a bailout. So I've seen it uh, firsthand and talked to the uh, sheriff down there, Brad Coe, and the deputies. Someone has to step up and do something about this. It's, it's okay to go down and have a press conference and talk about what we all know is a problem, but when do we see uh, these respective states coming together and saying, we have to step up and do something where the federal government is not doing. And again, you go back to the Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, Clause Number 3, it grants the, the power to the states to do something in a case like this where they are being invaded, where there is an imminent danger. And Brian, having been in combat zones, I will tell you that we 
are fighting against an insurgency. Uh, you talk to anyone down there, they will tell you that this is not just a business organization. This is a terrorist organization. They're well-funded. They have a great intelligence operations. Uh, they have people that they are paying Americans to go out and scout and do reconnaissance of, of routes and, and trails and, and passageways through a place like Kenny County so that they can get people through and around the checkpoints. So it is, it is time that we stop the talk and we start taking some action, and let's just bypass but, but the look, federal government. I'll tell you, I know you have a view from Texas, but I feel like you guys are doing everything possible. I mean, you put those barriers into the Rio Grande, the federal government suing you to get them out. It was genius of Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis, but Abbott led by putting these people on buses and saying, it's not my problem, only my problem, it is your problem too. Now, New York is forced to spend, and I live in New York, $1.7 billion year to date, $3 billion in two years, housing illegal immigrants, three meals a day, laundry, tents taken over parks, and, and uh, military bases, schools, universities, and now three meals a day, and they get a menu. That's what they're getting now. Now, they're expecting yep. outrage. Now we have Democratic mayors fighting with Democratic governors. But it's everybody's problem now, uh, Colonel. It's not just Texas and Arizona. Yeah, but, but the thing is, Brian, we have to have people that stand up for the rule of law. And I disagree with you aiding and abetting human trafficking because that's what you're doing if you're putting it on buses and you're dispersing them throughout the country. But what do you do with country. them? And, you, you repatriate them back across the doggone Rio Grande River, and you tell the Biden administration, you tell the Democrats and these progressive socialists that we will not be taking part of the undermining of the sovereignty of our respective states and the United States of America. You don't give them the, the talking point to be able to say you're inhumane and, and well, you're contributing in this and whatever. So tell me, you I don't know the answer, but, but tell me, I don't know the answer. So you got federal, uh, Border Patrol is federal. You got the, uh, you got the, um, you got your own sheriffs and, and your own police officers there on the ground, mm-hmm. and you're, you got them. But the Border Patrol, federal, you can't take them from the Border Patrol, put them on a Texas— You don't uh, turn them over to them. You don't turn them over to the Border Patrol if you know that the Border Patrol is going to continue to follow the unconstitutional order of catch and release. That's what you have to do. These are This is an unconstitutional order. This is unconstitutional what Joe Biden is doing, and we have to stand up and say we're not going to be a part of it. And the, the thing is that you've got Border Patrol agents that I guarantee you they will stand with you and they will be a part of that because they want to do their job. You've got ICE agents. They want to do their job. They see the drug trafficking crisis, the human and sex trafficking crisis, and, and they want to stand on what is right and true and lawful as well. So I think that it's time that Republicans stop running scared uh, of Democrats and stand up and say, this is a bunch of crap. We're not going to allow it to happen, and we're going to draw a line right here uh, in Texas or wherever, and we're going to push back, well, and we're going to send these you people can't do, back. You can't do Arizona because you have a Democratic governor who's useless. Uh, no, and, and, and But you can do Texas, and I've never yes. seen that. I have not. Like In fact, I've seen the other way, where Border Patrol is telling Operation Lone Star to get out of the way. Or they have to let them in, open the gate. I have not seen Operation Lone Star or the sheriff say, no, no, we're going to fly them back on a Texas jet, and we're going to drop them in Venezuela or whatever it takes. Uh, that would be a state against federal government, right? 
Well, you know, it comes back to the Supremacy Clause. And one of the things people have to understand about the Supremacy Clause is that states are subservient to the federal government when they are acting in concert with the rule of law, the Constitution. When you have an administration that is violating the Constitution of the United States of America, Article 4, Section 4, then we as a state, and it also says in the Texas State Constitution, Article 4, Section 7, that the governor of the state of Texas, as the commander of the Texas Military Department, has the power to repel invasions. So he can invoke his Texas state constitution and the United States constitution. So again, I just think it is time for Republicans to stop allowing the Democrats to just run over them and do all of these unconstitutional things, especially when we see the, the, the ramifications and consequences of the death of Americans. This is a chemical war that China is waging against the United States of America, and no one seems to be doing anything about it. So this border wall thing has got me totally incensed, too. So we bought a border wall oh, yeah. for billions of dollars, and it's sitting in the desert. And the Democratic Senate passed a, a law, which is going to work in the House, that said, uh, passed a rule uh, that they're going to start putting it up. And it's going to happen in the fall, and Democrats know they can't even stand in the way of this. Also, Mayorkas has promised to plug 11 gaps, still has not done it. Ducey takes his... Uh, takes his storage containers off the border and promises that they would come to another barrier. They have not done it yet. Mayorkas has just forgotten about it. Yeah. So when this passes, they start accelerating the auction of this border wall that's laying on the ground for scrap metals, pennies on the dollar. And now mm-hmm. there's billions that have now gone out the door that we paid for on pure spite because Biden doesn't want to put up Trump's wall, even though it works. And again, this is something that is unconstitutional. This uh, material has been appropriated. Uh, The American taxpayers have paid for it. And now to undermine our border security and sovereignty, you know, he's settling, as you said, pennies on the dollar. Is that going back into the coffers of the United States Treasury? Is that going back to the American taxpayers that pay for it? No. And so, again, you are seeing the willful and intentional undermining of our country. So are you saying, Colonel West, that Governor Abbott should put up the, see the wall, it's laying there, get your own contractors to put it up? Absolutely. It's already been paid for. Uh, you know, I, I come from the military, and, and I don't think playing defense is a, is a good way, uh, a good strategy. You've got to go on offense. You've got to seize the initiative, and you've got to take it away. And you force them to come out and say that, no, we want to have an open border, which their actions are already showing. But this is a huge issue for the United States of America. You cannot be a country if you don't have uh, a secure border. And if Joe Biden does not want to have a secure border, then he's not the president of the United States of America. America. He just thinks that this is a piece of land in between Canada and Mexico. Last question. What do you expect to see at the debate? What's going to be the headline on Thursday morning in Colonel West's view? I think the headline will be who is going to be the breakout candidate. I think it's a strategic mistake for President Trump not to be there. I said before, just because you're rated preseason number one in the college football poll, you still got to get out there and play every game to get to the championship. So uh, I don't think that Donald Trump should cede that territory over to the other eight or nine people that are going to be on that stage. If you're the big grizzly bear in the forest, you need to be able to beat down the wolves. And I guess him not going gives other people an opportunity to see who takes advantage of it. Colonel West, thanks so much. My pleasure. Go get him, Brian. All right, you go get him. Your call's next.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, we're back. Listen, when Stuart Varney comes to me, that'll be great. Afterwards, I usually have about 90 seconds, two minutes. So I'll squeeze in some calls. I see about six lines are full, so we'll get to them. Everyone's pumped up for this debate, and that'll be one of our topics. But the other thing, and I think it's going to be the top issue, according to CBS, is the economy. Two points back at 82%, so the economy's 84% when people are asked what they want to talk about at the debate. 82% is immigration. And there's no city who has been besieged more outside Texas and Arizona than New York City. Uh, because there's so many opportunities. Oh, let's listen together. On Eastern time, that means it's time for Brian Kilmeade, who joins us now. President Biden reportedly auctioning off millions of dollars worth of unused border wall material. He's trying to stop Republicans from finishing the wall. What do you make of that? Well, I talked to Senator Tom Cotton as a lawyer, Lindsey Graham, too, and I'm saying to myself, I don't care, Republican or Democrat, we paid for that. There's yes. 400 miles laying in the desert, and he starts picking up the pace with a government auction, pennies on the dollar, Stuart, to get rid of these, uh, of these pieces of fence, which are 28 feet high and effective. They funnel. And with those fences come the technology and the roads on both sides to let the Border Patrol do their job better and more effectively. And he realizes this past the Democratic-controlled Senate en route to passing the House in a few weeks. So he's picking up the pace. That is diabolical and evil and petty because he knows it helps his Border Patrol to have a fence. But he also knows it's Donald Trump's thing because he talked about it. That's how much he hates Trump more than he likes us. You know, uh, let's turn our attention to Mr. Trump for a second. He's only campaigned in Iowa just a few times since the start of the 2024 season, so to speak. It's not stopping him, though, from dominating the polls. He's beating Ron DeSantis by 23 points. So what do you make of Trump's strategy to skip the debate and then turn himself into the Fulton County Jail the very next day? Is he trying to divert attention from the Republican debate? Sure. Uh, no doubt about it. And he's saying to himself, you know, I'm winning by 20 points. Let's say someone scores big on me. I will regret that moment. And when you have an unscripted moment for two hours, that's why I'm not going to do it. But I just hung up with Colonel Allen West, who, you know, Donald Trump was very supportive of him when he got in that accident. He usually lost his life. He said, listen, you got to show up. And if you are the big guy, you got to take on those guys. And remember, I thought Britt Hume brought up a great point last night, that in 1980, Ronald Reagan was so far ahead, he didn't debate George H.W. Bush. And George H.W. Bush won Iowa. And then Reagan gets back in and had to reclaim momentum and actually got the race and made him his VP. So it is somewhat of a risk for Trump to jump in uh, and to do this again. But I would love to have seen him down there. Uh, I think it makes everybody better. And I think that Trump, instead of saying this is what I do theoretically, he could. I'm sure he's pretty proud of his record. So he could be defending his record. And I know that some people say, well, wait a second. He could get himself in some legal jeopardy. That's easy out. People get into him on his case in a time and say, guys, I can't engage on this because I'm in the middle of being, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being uh, railroaded with four separate cases. Is there any chance that Trump could just turn up at the debate stadium and say, hey, let me in? Shows up at 8.30, 8 o'clock at night. For the, the debate begins at 9. Any chance that he just shows up? Well, do, will he sign that form that says I will support the nominee when he's already on the record saying there's about four people going for this nomination that I could never support? So would he sign that? That'll be key, too, uh, if he does, in fact, show up. 
It'll be dramatic. That's something he would do. I just think for a guy running for the third time, I don't know if he would do it. He didn't benefit from leaving the, missing the last Fox debate. I don't think he's going to go to the Fox business debate um, either. He said, I'm not going to miss the first few. And you have Governor Sununu writing an editorial today saying, whatever happens after Iowa, if you don't win, get out. Because it's the only way to stop Donald Trump, because he has become vehemently not so much anti-Trump. He's just convinced Trump can't win the general. I used to think that until these indictments were handed down. And a lot of people that were on the fence or said, I'm done with this, see such injustice and a pulling back and taking another look. Did you see uh, Vivek Ramaswamy preparing for the debate? He was playing tennis. He posted a clip. He had a three-hour practice session on Monday, posted that clip. Uh, He's the most interesting candidate, isn't he? In a way. But his foreign policy is absolutely comic yep. book. I yep. mean, uh, Israel, we're going to stop funding. Right. You can take Taiwan in 2028. Hey, Russia and China, promise not to be partners, and you can keep 20% of Ukraine? I mean, that's idiotic. But he's playing to the part of the Republican Party that says, I don't want any part of the rest of the world. I want it Fortress America I think anyone who understands the world we live in, that is impossible. So we can't retract and expect to be dominant. So he's playing to that part of the party. And to me, he's too smart for that. I know he can't believe that. No, 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 I think you're right. I missed that on the foreign policy. All right, Brian, we're out of time. Thanks very much indeed. See you again real soon. Go get him, Stuart. Thanks so much. Uh, Jim in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. Um, Oh, hi, Brian. Uh, my question would be on that Hunter Biden case in Delaware. If the special prosecutor was illegally appointed because he's a member of the government already, could the judge kick him off the case? Wow. Uh, that would be interesting. That would be something the defense or the prosecution would have to petition. Say, listen, this guy, uh, you know, this guy can't be uh, the, the special prosecutor. He's conflicted. Look at with Bo Biden. They're partners. They're they're investigating Bo Biden's brother. They were celebrating a court case win together. So that could be something. Also, with the whistleblowers coming forward, obviously with credibility, showing that he sat there and said he had no power. You need David Weiss to say, go defend himself and say, this is what I've been doing for the last five years. I think the answer is not good. Alex in Brooklyn. Alex. Hey, good morning. You know, I think Vivek Ramaswamy is going to win this debate, and he's going to be the number two after Trump, I think, in this primary, because he just didn't have the name recognition until now. I think he's going to beat DeSantis. Um, and about the border. Are I you okay with Democratic- his foreign policy, Alex? Um, I with the Ukraine war, I didn't look into his foreign policy, but I think he's more original than Ron DeSantis, and he, he's more charismatic. And we're seeing his poll numbers go down, go up. I think it's just he didn't have the name recognition. But on the border, I think Democratic politicians don't know it's going to hit them because it's going to be the first election where Democratic voters are going to vote against the open border because they're feeling the ramifications now. Alex, do you, I think it's going to help in New York. You thought Zeldin was a hammer in New York last time? I think the illegal immigration thing is going to be the hammer that really nails Democrats this time. Thank you. Great point. From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade show. So glad you're here. We come to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world where we have 200 illegal migrant shelters 
just added a military base and uh, took up two more fields uh, in the middle of Randall's Island where kids have no place to play now. And because we're a sanctuary city, come one, come all. Tell me this. How do 150 uh, 20-year-old men need housing in America? Please tell me the strife they're going through and how they qualify for refugee status. It is a joke. Peter Marici uh, on Chorley. He's an economist. John Rich, country music star. His book, his song, rather, is uh, number one. Uh, he's going to talk to us about that. And Senator Tim Scott at the bottom of the hour. He's getting set for his big debate. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We've got to remind ourselves just how hostile an adversary China is. They want to be number one in the world. They have the biggest army, the biggest navy. They're militarizing the South China Sea. You've got to remind yourself first what we are dealing with. Yeah, Bob Lighthizer would know China, major BRIC summit in South Africa, as their rhetoric hits an all-time high. Can the BRIC countries, they include India and Russia, compete with the, I don't know, uh, the the uh, the uh, NATO or any other major trade organization? Meanwhile. Number two. Hunter Biden admitted in court in July that he was, in fact, paid substantial sums uh, from Chinese companies. And this directly goes against what Joe Biden said in the debate in 2020 uh, with uh, Donald Trump. Yep, that was Jake Tapper suddenly realizing Hunter might be up to no good. Justice closing in on Hunter as many media outlets are forced to cover his highly unethical international business deals. When are they going to start focusing on the guy that was actually there every step of the way? And that's the big guy, the president. Number one. He stomped all over everybody in 2016 by showing up to debates. That's kind of how he got the nomination. You know, he laid about himself. He, you know, he interrupted everybody. He dominated. Force of personality. Well, you can't have force of personality if you're not there. That is uh, Britt Hume. Here we are, debate number one, hours away, which is exactly where Trump will be, hours away. On Thursday, he'll turn himself in to Georgia authorities. But Ron DeSantis will be center square because he will not show up. We're going to look at the final eight, the topics, the issues, the bios, and more. And let's do it first with Peter Marici. Uh, Peter, welcome back. You're an outstanding economist, business professor at the University of Maryland. Peter, the president is saying he's running on Bidenomics. That's going to get him another four years in office. That'll be a topic tonight. He points to the job numbers and that we're not getting into a recession. Should he be proud of Bidenomics? Well, I think he's gotten his program through. And uh, by spending so much money, he has inflated the economy. I mean, you know, the economy is growing, but Americans have had a lot of inflation and uh, it still remains significant and they feel worse off. So I think that he's going to have trouble running on that platform. Now, some people have benefited. I mean, if you're in the construction business in Arizona and you're part of the effort to put up the semiconductors plant or you're building a solar panel factory or you're in the UAW uh, and you're looking forward to these negotiations in a big raise, you're going to feel good about them. But most Americans are paying for all this spending, and it is really a lot, through basically higher prices. And the reason for that is the deficit has doubled since before the pandemic. And it's, it's, and, it, and, and that, in turn, has caused a lot of inflation. And so generally, everybody's paying higher prices. But maybe, say, 20 percent of the population is profiting by benefits prog- uh, Biden's programs. So he has very negative approval ratings when it comes to the economy. Now, that doesn't mean the Republicans can turn around and nominate Donald Trump and expect to win. But if they were to 
nominate a Tim Scott, I think they would win. Uh, I, I don't know about DeSantis. I mean, I'm kind of two minds about him. Uh, but if they nominated somebody like Scott, I think they would win. Interesting. Uh, even before we get to that place, the one thing we could say is, I think you said over the weekend that our deficit in the last year prior to the pandemic was what, about $900 billion annually? It was 960 something billion. So now I, Biden I keeps telling us he cut the deficit. He's cutting the okay, deficit. Well, let me, first of all, the deficit went up a great deal during the pandemic because the economy shut down. So yeah. you can say, well, it's lower than during the pandemic. And also we were giving money away. So it's lower during the pandemic. The, the fair, the fair comparison is the last year before the pandemic and this year. The last year before the pandemic, it was nine hundred and sixty something billion. This year, it's going to be about double that, one point eight five trillion, a little more than double. And as a share of GDP, it's way up. Uh, as compared to other industrialized countries, as compared to say the Europeans or the Japanese, it's very high. And uh, so the credit rating in the United States goes down. The credit rating in the banks go down. I mean, have you noticed that Democrats these days become president? They spend a lot of money, and the U.S. credit rating goes down. Uh, yeah, why is that? Uh, is that Fitch? Uh, the Fitch Analytics. Uh, Fitch Analytics is so suddenly a political organization. Why they tried to lobby him too? And they said no. You you have to downgrade your credit. From what I see right now, it's downgraded. No one talks about that. Well, it's an abstract thing to most people. Uh, it does say something about the management of the economy. What, what people vote on is tangibles in their lives. You know, they don't sit around and, like Peter Marisi and go on TV and write op-eds all day. They they get paid. They drive to work or they, you know, go to the grocery store and so forth. And they see the prices they pay as compared to what they're getting paid. And it doesn't look very favorable. Uh, their standards of living are down. Uh, they've been struggling by – essentially, they saved a lot during the pandemic because they couldn't go out. They got these big stimulus checks. They didn't spend it all. That money is going to run out in the next couple of months. You know, We've been tracking it in economics. The economists have been tracking the extra savings people have, and it's gone. So, Peter Marici, so, I'll let you finish your thought. Go ahead. Once that happens, I'm, once that happens, then it becomes very tough to make ends meet, and then you have to start running up credit card debt or really cutting back. Uh, again, most people aren't like you and me. Most people, you know, get along on fifty, sixty, seventy household incomes of seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars combined or less. And uh, you know, when the price of paper towels, um, you know, the price of canned beans and so forth is up so much. Uh, it hurts. And so Joe Biden doesn't understand why he can go around the country, talk about all his great accomplishments, of which there are many, and people go sour on him. But you've got to have a better alternative than Donald Trump. <laughs> it's going to be very, very difficult to run that guy and win. Why? I don't think middle class women in the suburbs will vote for him, and that will be enough to swing the states that swing. I think it's that dumb simple. Well, we'll see. I mean, people are taking a fresh look because of what they've experienced over the last few years, including the illegal, illegal immigration up. problems. I understand that. But I look at the polling numbers and over and over again, he finishes below Biden. You know, in a head to head, he doesn't show well against Biden. DeSantis shows a little better at times. The others are not well known enough to assess what a head to head poll would mean. 
But I mean, I, I got to think that someone like Tim Scott or Nikki Haley is just going to look better. For one thing, you immediately get the contrast in age. Joe Biden, if he takes office for a second term, has a one in three chance of, 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 of dying. And so that means Camilla becomes president. Camilla not only doesn't excite people, she frightens a lot of people, including a lot of those very voters I just mentioned. Now, those suburban women in Nassau County, New York, or Westchester County, or in the suburbs of Chicago are not going to say, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden because of Camilla, because they're going to fear that they're going to be called a racist. But the reality is, I think they won't. Yeah, just a real quick on the economy for a second. Uh, there's a big story in the Wall Street Journal about these electric cars and how China's come up with 400 separate brands of cars and most of them in the scrap heap. Uh, has the electric car been a failure to date as Ford and GM are beginning to worry when these subsidies run out if they're just going to crater? What do you think, Peter? Oh, no, I think we're going to have electric cars, but I think we're going to have a lot of electric car failures, just like we did when we introduced the internal combustion engine. There were you know, lots of car makers, and within 20 years, we were down to about seven or eight. And then by the 50s, we were down to five, and then we were down to three, and then the Japanese came. My feeling is that, that the Wall Street Journal – that was an editorial, and I read it. Man, that was an editorial. Let's be clear. The Japanese, the Chinese have generated a couple of very stellar electric car companies, and they're going to be very tough for Ford and General Motors to compete with because they are hothouse companies. They go from crisis to crisis living off government subsidies. Tesla is going to do well, but the question is how much of an industry will that give us? Tesla is not going to make 15 or 20, 20 million cars a year. They just can't build factories fast enough. My feeling is the Chinese cars are coming here. Uh, yeah, uh, hopefully people are smart enough not to bring them here. Uh, that would be great. I hope so, too. But the point is is that they can make a car. They can make a good car. Uh, General Motors has yet to demonstrate that it can make a reasonably accessible, affordable electric vehicle. You can get a Cadillac, the, you know, SUV that goes 500 miles, but they want to charge you $100,000. Right. Going and then who's replacing the batteries? $80,000. Who's going to afford that? They Who, can't afford that. And who's going to replace the battery and where are we going to put it? Uh, because uh, it's not going to be into traditional uh, garbage dumps. And then who's going to get the rare right. earth and how are we going to mine it? Uh, we're going to be. Well, it just works against our national interests. All those issues. All those issues. But I don't. If you think we're going to continue to, with internal combustion engines for the next twenty years, as we did the last twenty years, I don't think we are. The electric cars are coming. It's going to be a difficult transition, just like it was with automobiles in the first place. When I was a I boy in it. New York City in the nineteen fifties, there were still horses. I around. know, but but we knew we we made our own metal, made our own engines. We don't have the rare earth, and we're going to continue to have to deal with China. That's not in America's interest, and we have no infrastructure for it, yet we have cars now. And when those subsidies go away. There's other places to get the stuff. There's other places to get the stuff. That's where Joe Biden isn't very smart. For example, there's a ton of lithium in uh, Afghanistan, and he pulls us out. Right. I mean, that's insane. We're living this. We're living this idiocy. Uh, Peter Marishi, thanks so much. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. About 20 minutes, I'll take your calls. So coming up next, John Rich, uh, the uh, the great town, musical talents in our country, talks about our country and sings about it. Don't move. And then Tim Scott. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It seems like these days, no matter what you say, someone's losing their ever-loving mind. It's like they're looking for a reason to have their fragile feelings hurt every single time. My country truck, I gas it up. You got your fancy Tesla hooked up to a plug. I know you're mad. You think I'm bad. Cause I'm breathing free at last and you're still stuck behind your mask and I'm offended. That is uh, John Rich singing on Fox and Friends this morning. Uh, his uh, song is called I'm Offended uh, off his brand new album. The Country Truth is doing extremely well uh, on the charts. John, you just when did you release this? It came out last Thursday. And how's it doing? It's it. The Country Truth is the number one selling record in all genres right now. Number one selling how album. How did you do that? I mean, how did you get the word out the, about this? Well, you, you know, uh, Fox and Friends, uh, Bongino, man. Bongino got behind it big out of the gate. Truth, Rumble got behind it in a huge way. And everybody just kind of pressed down and said, hey, John, John's not a part of this system, so we've got to be his system. Let's get the word out. And all my friends put the word out. And then people have to like the song, Brian. They have to right. like the song to go buy it. But they like the song. They like the record. And it, it's crazy to look up and see it at the number one position. Are you bypassing a part of this industry? I'm bypassing the entire industry. So I wrote the song. I wrote the record, produced the record, performed the record, marketed the record. Uh, and now I'm out promoting the record. And so – I'm a, it's kind of a one-man show as far as the creative side, but then out here to get to the people, you let me on your radio show, people listening right now, that's the way it, that's the way it happens. Yeah, we got 200-plus stations listening to John Rich talk about his new song and his new album, uh, The Country Truth. Give me the normal process. I'm an artist. I'm in Nashville. Right. I have a good song. Tell me the normal process. I have an album, let's say. Yeah, so you, you, you would sign with a record label. The record label would put a bunch of money behind your video production and radio promotion and send you out on the road and there'd be tours and buses and all this money that they spend before they ever sell the first record, hoping that you will sell records. The, the issue with that is uh, what the real issue is the record labels will not allow people like myself, Oliver Anthony is, an, is another case. If we wrote these songs while signed to a record label, you guys would never hear the songs because the label would never let those songs out. They would never put them out. Because of the content? Because of the content. Because of what it's talking about. It goes against their, their ideology. But, I mean, the same thing we saw with Jason Aldean because yeah. people started saying, wait a second, you don't want to hear this song. It's racist. It's not racist. Take a look at it. Right. And then he said, no, I'm doubling and tripling down. That's the key, isn't it? Yes. Are we finding that out? Don't go to your publicist. Go to your instinct in situations like that. Exactly right. Um you know, we've seen Americans destroy things. We, the people, destroy things. Well, I mean, $27 billion out of Bud Light in six months. I'd call that destruction. Organic, too. Yeah. There was they no just organized protest. You know, Disney's another example. Target's another example. So we've seen that they can tear things down. Let's see if they can build things, too. And now you're seeing that. The same energy that knocked out, you know, these left-leaning uh you know, schools of thought are now building up Oliver Anthony and John Rich and Jason Aldean and the rest of us. Here's 15 seconds of the song that's on the similar path as yours. Rich man, oh, rich man, Lord knows it all. Just want to have total control. Want to know what you think. Want to know what so you think. So you reached out to Oliver. Who was he yeah. like? Man, he is the real deal. I can tell you I've never met an artist that thinks like this guy. He's turning down multi-million dollar offers from the industry and i asked him i go why'd you turn on that big deal man he goes i don't want their dirty money in my account <laughs> i mean what well, an answer wow he said god gave me these songs 
he, you know, he's recently sober. He's got his family put together. Um, and he says, I don't, I don't really want to have a music career. I want to have a music ministry. That's what he told me. So I love your voice, but I'm not a musician. I'm just a consumer. Uh, you as a musician, do you love his voice? Oh, good Lord, yes. I mean, that is, uh, that is one of the best straight-ahead country voices I've heard in a long, long time. It's almost in a way he's shouting musically. Yeah, he's upset. You know, I was say I said this to a friend of mine that he's loud, he's angry, he's exhausted, he's shredded, he's sad, all in that performance. You can hear it in his voice. Guess what Americans feel like right now? Sad, angry, exhausted, shredded, and they want to get loud. Only he's in tune. <laughs> Only he's in tune and he put it in a song. He's an important voice. I think artists... Him, myself, Aldine, and others, uh, we got to keep bringing the heat here. Are you? Do you see a camaraderie between, let's say, the three of you? A hundred percent. I mean, it's the same type of conversation with all of us. That what about Brian Kelly of FGL? Man, he has gotten a terrible deal. I mean, the the way he's been treated in the industry, but his his singing partner is allowed to have hit songs, but they won't play they won't play Brian Kelly's songs. It's terrible, and it's because you know he's not part of their club. And that's exactly what it is. The music industry is a big, giant club. It's a it's a system. If you sign with them, uh, they're going to tell you what to say and when you can say it. And if you don't like it, they'll say, well, hit the road, Jack. You're done. I hope you're both at the Patriot Awards. I plan right on being there. You're in Nashville, Tennessee. I plan on being there, man. Right. Now, you have bunk beds and, and your place. <laughs> Would I be a good, one of the bunks? I could put you on a tour bus, man, and just keep you going all night. <laughs> you, you don't get, want me in the house. You get in a bus bunk. <laughs> I'd have to ask the wife about that. No, you couldn't raise any more hell than I do. So I think <laughs> Absolutely not. He's got a stage and a full bar. It's amazing. And you've earned every second of it. John, you're a genius. Uh, pick up the new song, I'm Offended, downloaded, I should, and the new album, The Country Truth. Thanks, John. Thanks, Brian. Uh, the great center, Tim Scott, next. Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, Biden's policies have failed. We're going to offer a positive vision uh, to get us out of the mess um, and to reverse the country's decline. If we do that, we will win. We will win the presidency and we will win the House and the Senate. And we will have an opportunity to really change America for the better. We will end catch and release and we will start catch and deport. We have to secure our border. It is a huge national security threat, and we've got to get that done. And then we have to start dealing with the fact that our number one national security threat at this time is China. And literally, nothing is being done. It's time to fire Joe Biden. It is time to fire Merrick Garland. And it's time to fire Christopher Wray. We need to clean out the entire DOJ. We need to clean out the White House staff. We need to clean out all the political appointees so that we can restore confidence and integrity for the American people and the Department of Justice because Lady Justice needs a blindfold. Senator Tim Scott, that was the last voice you heard, but that's uh, we have eight candidates going to the stage in Milwaukee. Nine o'clock, it'll kick off Eastern time. It'll go for two hours, and then the debate will be in the books, and we'll see who's going to shine on Thursday and have the momentum and the wind at their back. Perhaps it's Senator Tim Scott. He's near the top of the new brand-new Fox Power rankings, now third in Iowa. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina joins us now. Senator, how are you feeling hours from the big debate? 
Brian, I'm feeling pretty good, to be honest with you. I certainly have butterflies and looking forward to an opportunity to tell America why I believe she can – tell American people why I believe that she can do for others what America has done for me. And I'm excited about the opportunity to share the story of American progress that I've been blessed to live. So that's your story, but there are things like uh, Medicare, Social Security. What are you going to do to entitlements due to run out uh, in, within 10 years? What about uh, Ukraine, Russia, China? The challenge of China, as Mike Gallagher said, I wish someone would bring up China because the, no one really fully understands what a threat they are. And where do you stand with Saudi Arabia and, and other things where you have a previous this president say they're a pariah nation yet now uh, begging for forgiveness? Where does Senator Tim Scott first when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to Saudi Arabia, when that question's posed to you, what do you say? Well, thank, thank you, Brian, for that, that question and, and really a good, great synopsis on many of the issues that are facing the American people and, frankly, the global economy and global security. And one of the places that you start first is that the greatest long-term existential threat to America is China. The question is, what do we do about that threat? First thing you do is stop China from spying on our kids. Number two, stop them from buying our farmlands. And number three, stop them from stealing our intellectual property. But in order to accomplish those goals, we have to realize it's not about the strength of President Xi. It's actually about the weakness of President Biden. We need an American president who goes toe-to-toe with President Xi. And additionally, we need to continue to work on eliminating the threat that comes from this rising axis of evil that is China, Russia, and Iran. The stronger we are in decimating and destroying uh, the militaries that threaten our nation, the better off we are long term. That also means that we have to take a look at Saudi Arabia that is willing to take a look at the new rising axis of evil and join forces first to threaten the world's reserve currency, which, of course, is the American dollar, and seeing these new coalitions being formed, whether it's BRICS and or the next iteration of BRICS, these are things that we have to keep our eyes on if we want to understand the complexity of the global transformation that China wants to lead. The greatest force for good in the world today, besides our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is United States of America. We must stand strong, firm, and committed. Our allies must know we're loyal, and our adversaries must know that we are lethal. Here's what Mike Gallagher said. I know somebody you respect in, in Wisconsin, Congressman Mike Gallagher, cut 25. It seems to me that the CCP is ratcheting up pressure, even as the Biden administration seeks to engage China, to resurrect diplomatic and economic engagement. They're getting more and more aggressive. So if nothing else, this would create a political opportunity for a Republican presidential candidate to get out there and articulate a strong, sensible alternative to the neo-zombie engagement that the Biden administration is putting forward, which ultimately, I think, puts us in a weaker position relative to the Chinese Communist And Party. he's not someone just to say rhetoric. He's not he's not a uh, he's not a necessarily a political pundit. I think actually he's the most bipartisan committee in Washington. So it's an opportunity. And Vivek Ramaswamy says, listen, uh, Taiwan, yeah, by 2028, we can let China take it over. But by that time, as soon as we take our the tech industry back, the chip industry back, we can do it. Do you feel the same way? Let China take Taiwan? It's not worth a world war? Here's what we can tell you. Is that the, the Ronald Reagan strategy of peace through strength 
needs a 2.0. As president of the United States, I will be the president who restores that we must carry a very big stick. That's called strength, which leads to peace. If we have that, we are a strong, powerful standing. And that looks like to me, Brian, it simply says that in order for us to engage in the world, we must understand and appreciate the importance of our military strength and our economic strength. Carrying a big stick is one part of the solution, decoupling in our economy and having a strong independent economy from China is point number two. You always lead with the two strongest points you have. The American economy is the marvel of the world, 27% of the world's GDP. When we start disengaging from China and becoming independent with our minerals, our microchips, and our medicines, we then stand in the strongest position to continue to attract allies to our nation and to create a firewall, keeping Americans mm -hmm. safe and, frankly, reducing the likelihood of the kinetic option being used. You don't do that by disengaging from your allies. You do that by leaning into your allies, whether that's Taiwan or Israel. You never walk away from your allies. Right. So Governor Ron DeSantis uh, feels as though he's going to be the target. He'll be in the center. He's been a consistent number two. He had good numbers coming out as a solid third in Iowa. I want to get to your take on, on the early states, South Carolina, which you feel you must feel you should take. Uh, New Hampshire and Iowa. Here's what Ron DeSantis said, knowing he's going to be a target cut to. I'm going to make the case that under Joe Biden, this country is in decline. We need to send Biden back to his basement in Delaware and reverse the country's decline. And I'm the guy that can do it. I've proven it in the state of Florida. Uh, and I won't let people down as the next president. Of anyone on that stage, uh, I'm the only one whose sole purpose is running to be the 47th president of the United States and to reverse this country's decline. I'm not running to be vice president. I'm not running uh, to be in the cabinet. And I'm not running to be a contributor uh, on cable news. Uh, we're running to win. He says he's the only one on the stage who's not trying to do something except win the presidency. Is he right? It's called, it's called hogwash. Anyone who puts through the, goes through the process of preparing to be president of the United States who wants to be anything other than the president of the United States the A should not be in the race, B should not be on the stage, and C, it's just completely ridiculous. Every single person on that stage, I hope and pray, wants to be the leader of the free world. If you do not, don't show up for the debate. I would simply say that I know that America can do for others what she has done for me. We're going to focus on restoring hope and creating opportunities and protecting the America that we all love. And for me, that means that we start with the southern border because our southern border is wide open, unsafe, and insecure. If you're going to be the commander-in-chief, the greatest actual threat to the American people is an open southern border. Closing that southern border will save 70,000 American lives because of fentanyl just in one year. We also have to back the blue. Brian, you know this as well as I do. Making sure that our law enforcement have the best resources, the best training, so that the best want to wear the badge is absolutely essential to domestic tranquility. When you look at your strategy, everybody's got to pick a state they really got to battle on. Famously, Rudy Giuliani had the Florida strategy. I'm giving up the first two states, and I'll meet you in Florida. And by that time, he had collapsed. Um, some people give up on Iowa. Where are you at now? You are third in Iowa. 
I see you fourth in single digits in New Hampshire, and South Carolina is your state, but you got Nikki Haley, the former governor, and you got President uh, of Trump, who's consistently number one in that state. First on Iowa. What's your strategy there? Well, I will say what we've been doing is working in Iowa as well as the other two states that you just mentioned. People are starving for an optimistic, positive message as long as it's anchored in conservatism and you have a backbone. My message is not only resonating, but it's one of the reasons why we continue to climb in the polls and the size of our audiences in Iowa are absolutely exploding. And I thank God Almighty that Iowa is a state that's very interested and engaging about the critical issues of our time. New Hampshire, uh, we, we are in fourth place in New Hampshire, from what I understand, in the latest polling. That's only two points from third and four points from second. So the truth is that game on in New Hampshire, I look forward to taking the momentum from those two states, bringing it home to South Carolina, winning South Carolina, and becoming the nominee for our party, and restoring hope for the American people that we can bring this nation together under auspices of conservative values that have never let us down. When Chris, Governor Chris Nuno wrote an editorial today in the New York Times saying, if you don't win Iowa, you should get out of the race, consolidate a run, the person uh, that is closest to Trump in Iowa if they don't win outright. Do you agree with that? Everybody has the right to run. I'm going to let every candidate make, make their own decisions, but I do believe that as the guy that will win Iowa. I look forward to the team and the field coalescing behind my leadership and, frankly, helping me promote and encourage the vision of conservatism that sets captives free. It doesn't matter what zip code you come from. The one thing I can tell you about the American story and the American journey is it is alive, it is well, and it is healthy. We just need to continue to persuade the American people that we're not a country in decline. We are actually a country in retreat. And the good news is when you're in retreat, change the leader and just turn around. And we will be the greatest nation on God's green earth because the American people, Brian, we are strong. It's the government that is weak. Senator, sometimes like I did stand up for a while, and sometimes you think something's funny and you get up there and I'm like, I don't get a great response. You go up three or four times and go, listen, I, I over... Uh, I overthought with how good that was going to be. And sometimes you're surprised by some things you say that do get a good response. Now that you've been out as a candidate for a few months, meeting people in the groups of five and groups of 500 and 1,000, what is the message that you say, wow, man, I'm going to pull back on that? And what is the message you said forwarding them? I'm going to lean forward. People really care about this. And, I, I, you know, I have the stats in front of me that the economy and immigration, economy's number one, immigration's number two. I got it. But what does Tim Scott see when you roll up your sleeves without your jacket and you're in the general store and sometimes on the stage? You know, one of the things you'll hear in a diner in New Hampshire or a town hall in Iowa is that President Biden's economy, Bidenomics, has devastated the average household in the nation. What I hear that works really well is authenticity. Having grown up in a single-parent household mired in poverty, the one thing I can tell you, having my story feel the same as other people's story, whether you're a rural kid in Iowa or you're a fella uh, at a fact welding factory that I was in in New Hampshire. The one thing we all understand is when inflation goes high, 
your spending power comes low. That devastates families today. That simply works because it's real. What I find that works everywhere I go is authenticity and sincerity. They want it to be anchored in facts. Mm -hmm. You've got to prove your point. But the more you don't have a canned line, the better off you will be. And you listen, right? Well, I started my Faith in America tour as a listening tour so I could hear what the people were saying around this country to make a decision whether or not my life story, my policy positions over the last few years, do they reflect what I'm hearing on the trail? And thank God Almighty they did. And I'm excited to have an opportunity, Brian, to be on that stage talking about the goodness of America and why we have to defend the values that made us possible. I know you said you thought you wanted Trump to be there, and you guys have not had a crossword yet. But now that he's not there, what changes for you, being that we watched Dr. Ben Carson and others say, you know, and Joe Biden for a while, people stopped engaging when they thought they were dropping out, like dropping back. How do you, the more you believe it or not, the more you're attacked and engaged, the the better chance you have of being the headline the next day. So now without Trump, what, what does Tim Scott do to make sure he's the lead conversation, lead in the conversation on Thursday morning? Uh, Brian, I think what I do is what I've just said, which is be authentic, sincere, right. take my optimistic, positive message. But, but someone's going to take a shot person. at you, aren't they? Well, I mean, you know, the proper chances are high that someone will have a disagreement. And frankly, I, I played college football and grew up in some tough neighborhoods. Take people taking a shot is called every day. And so when you're a black Republican, uh, you, you fit, you're a unicorn. You're going to get used to people taking shots at you. So that, that's, that's an everyday thing. What I have to make sure that I do is feel the shot when it's taken and not just completely ignore it because I'm so used to them. And, and so for me on the stage, what I will do is have an opportunity to respond to anyone who has an opportunity to draw the contrast. I don't take any of this is personal. I see this as an opportunity for us to all create the right. comparison and contrast that's necessary for people to make a decision that I want that I will be the next president of the United States. And hopefully for your party, one day when you say that, you said, I used to be a black Republican that used to be a unicorn. Hopefully for the good of your party and for the future, that will be an old phrase that no longer applies right. at one point. I love that. I love that. Right. Keep hope alive and let's continue to spread the message. See you in Milwaukee, Senator Tim Scott. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. How lame is this? A made-up pronoun is now a participation trophy for people who can't participate in actual life. It's a built-in excuse for people going nowhere without having to travel to Delaware. But they're like people who say they're spiritual but not religious. They get tattoos so people can ask them about their tattoos. They brag when they've read a book. Their parents are usually well off and provided a good life for them, but yet they still hate capitalism. They're the most boring people on the planet, even ahead of those who buy books by Brian Kilmeade. <laughs> hey, by the way, do you see the crowd doesn't really laugh? Do you see, see what I'm talking about? But I don't know. Uh, I guess it's a kind of that thing, and uh, Greg continues to do that. Uh, I think they were own... on your side there. Right. But he's. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Greg for his book on Thursday. It'll be on One Nation on Saturday. 
Uh, he will not be in Milwaukee. He does not travel well. But I'll be there tomorrow doing the show tomorrow from the set of uh, from the stage, right around the stage of where they're going to have the debate. So it's going to be great. We're going to have Brett. We're going to have Martha. We're going to have a lot of great guests. We're going to have a lot of candidates on Thursday. I'll be at the diner. In a lo- where am I going to be, Eric, on Thursday? I'm not going to be at the diner where I'm doing Fox and Friends. Oh, I'm going to stay at the diner. All right, so we'll probably bring a lot of candidates through. You'll hear a lot of background noise. But most of all, the good news is you'll hear me. And guess what's coming up in November? Your chance to get Teddy and Booker T, uh, two American icons, pushed America forward when it came to race relations in this great country. You'll love that story. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.